Welcome to Monday Stackers and thanks to the men and women in our armed forces for keeping us safe. Another weekend, OG, another glorious weekend while somebody was standing guard. Yeah, we got to have a nice, just, you know, go play golf, enjoy the beautiful sunshine. And there's somebody in a submarine right now going, all right, my finger's ready. It's on the button. If we got to push it, probably not, but hopefully. Hopefully that's somebody who, who then gets a little itch, accidentally sneezes. That's you. Yeah. Oops. Uh, Bill? It's like that Snickers commercial. <laughs> Looks great, but who are the chefs? <laughs> great googly moogly. <laughs> the chefs. On behalf of our whole crew here at Stacking Benjamins and our friends at Navy Federal Credit Union, big shout out to our armed forces. Let's all go stack some Benjamins together. Spider pig, spider pig. Does whatever a spider pig does. Can he swing from a web? No, he can't. He's a pig. Look out, he is a spider pig. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Duggan. Are you ready to adult with your money? So am I. So today, we've got the notebooks open and the pencil sharp because high school finance teacher and author Jake Cousineau is here to teach you the basics. Plus, we're talking annuities again on today's show because there are some new rules rolling out across the country for the people who sell them. Will it make annuities better? We have an opinion during our headline segment. Of course we do. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Andy, who got an inheritance, which put him over the income limits for the third stimulus check. Can he still get this money in the future? And finally, I'll make sure to save some time for my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who have been failing to adult for like 70 years, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. That's 70 dog years, right? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Monday. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. This is the Stacky Benjamin Show. We're so glad you're here with us. We've got the coffee. You've got your earbuds in or your listening device. And I'll tell you what else I brought today. My buddy, OG. Fresh off the mend of the COVID vaccine. Welcome to Club Man. What took you so long? Oh, well, our age group was a little bit later. The senior citizens got to go first, you probably recall, uh, which is why you got yours in January. It was that very nice, smooth, good work. It was married to a healthcare worker. Uh-huh. That yeah. was my, my I, thing. I saw the video of you shoving down that old lady at the CVS. <laughs> She's in a walker. You're like, like, it's, like it's Black Friday at Walmart. Yeah, you're like, get out of my way, devil woman. <laughs> they, opened, they opened the door. People got trampled. Things happened. Feeling some regret, but hey, I got my shot. Hey, we got a great way for people, by the way, to get their shot at better money habits today. How about that? If you're just beginning, we've got Jake Cousineau, who's a high school teacher, wrote this great book about adulting, which is just fantastic beginner level tips. So gather the kids around the radio, send to your friends that just got their first job, 
somebody who's 50 and acts like they just got their first job. It's going to be a fun show. But even before that, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. Monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Jay Cousineau waiting in the wings to help us all start adulting, so let's get these headlines rolling. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Lots of great headlines this morning, OG. One that we won't go over, but one that we should note is that uh, Robinhood, when you used to place a trade, would have confetti. Nice. And there were so many people that said that that was bad, they, they, they just got rid of the confetti. So, not worth the whole headline, but the confetti is gone. Don't get me wrong, it's great that you bought a stock. But this gamification and things that make it feel like a casino and that you're betting sends, sends the wrong message. So it was good to see Robin Hood stop that. Uh, our first headline, though, is actually coming from Investment News. This is written by Emil Halez over at Investment News. States picking up the annuity best interest standard. Have you heard of the annuity best interest standard? Have not. Numerous states have been incorporating a model regulation for annuity sales, Emil writes, that's designed to mirror the SEC's regulation best interest. To date, eight states have passed rules based on the National Association of Insurance Commissioners model, and at least as many are considering such measures. The NAIC issued its proposed rule more than a year ago, and its incorporation by individual states has likely been slowed by the pandemic. The Securities and Exchange Commission's rule passed in mid-2019 does not apply to annuities, which are insurance products covered by state regulations. Recently, Idaho, North Dakota passed rules matching the standard, adding uh, to other states, which are Arkansas, Arizona, Delaware, Iowa, Michigan, and Rhode Island. Those considering similar regulations include Alabama, Kentucky, Maine, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, Texas, and Virginia. Uh, The new regulation, here's what it does. 
slightly changes non-fiduciary sales of annuities requiring brokers to put a consumer's interest ahead of their own at the time they recommend the products. To satisfy that, they have to check off a list of four obligations around care, disclosure, conflict of interest, and documentation. Close to the same requirements that uh, Reg BI has. Industry groups applaud it, but of course, consumer advocates say that this is window dressing. The model rule, quote, is a bad joke with consumers as its victim and is effectively the same old weak suitability standard. Barbara Roper, Director of Investor Protection for the Consumer Federation of America, wrote in an email. It claims to address conflicts of interest, but then exempts the most significant conflicts cash and non-cash compensation from the definition of material conflicts of interest. I went to an annuity meeting, uh, an annuity industry meeting at MIT. It feels like yesterday. I think it was, I remember this. It was years ago. It was, well, it was a year and a half or two years ago. Yeah. Four years ago. Um, I'm, I'm thinking maybe two, but the, the frustrating thing is there were consumer groups there and there were industry groups there and the one area consumers continually said was the problem was that you're paying these salespeople a boatload of money up front, OG, and that creates this cash train that makes people find ways to do the wrong thing. Yeah. You just have to follow the money to kind of put it in perspective. If you were to put, um, let's say, $500,000 into a normal run-of-the-mill investment advisory type relationship account, your fees would look like somewhere in the neighborhood of about 400 bucks a month, give or take, right? If you were to take that same $500,000 and put it in an annuity, your commission that you would pay would be somewhere in the neighborhood of $30,000. So if I'm a tolerably decent salesperson, right, it doesn't take me that long to figure that math out. And how many times do I got to like throw stuff against the wall when I know sometime when it sticks, I get 30 grand plus or minus. This would uh, eliminate all the conflicts and all of the chicanery associated with, with annuities if you just got rid of the upfront commission. Because then it would be based on the merits of the product. Because in fact, it would be a, a true comparison to, do I need the benefits that the annuity provides? Lifetime income tax deferral if it's in a regular investment account versus an IRA, um, you know, the diversification options, all that sort of stuff. Is that going to be better for me than a basket of ETFs or mutual funds? And if it was priced the exact same, then that's where you're going to find out whether or not it's the best tool for you to use for your financial plan. When there's any other sort of conflict in there, and the conflict majorly being, I get paid 5,000 bucks a year if I do this, 30,000 bucks if I do this, you know, it's, it's just going to be that much more difficult to regulate and to say, even if, even if it's the right thing, right? And that's the frustrating thing for people who actually want to do the right thing and say, hey, this is the best tool for you to use. And by the way, I'm going to make 30 grand. Like it already just sounds stinky. You're like, really? <laughs> <Just> immediately. <laughs> Really? You're for sure it's the best thing? Absolutely, it's the best one. I search high and low. You need lifetime income. You need tax deferral, da 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 da. And this is where I think you could, where, where, you know, where you should get it from. And I make 30 grand. Like immediately, it's like, eh, it's probably not the truth. 
Yeah, if you get paid that much up front, why it it feels like something that has to be sold, not bought, right? People don't go out searching for this. They need salespeople to shove it down your throat. Well, and I remember years ago, uh, we were exploring purchasing another advisor's firm. We had this idea that maybe we'd move to Florida. So I started looking at uh, advisory firms down there to, to acquire. So I was looking at this advisory firm and 50 million in client assets. And I was looking to kind of under the hood at all the books and something just didn't look right. I couldn't figure out the math. Something was going on. And he said, Oh no, it's all annuities for 10 years. I sold $5 million of annuities for 10 years and got paid my commission. And at the end of the 10th year, year one's annuities are out of their surrender charge. So I've just been, you know, replacing those with new 10 year ones. And it just blew my mind. Like, like that wasn't every, that was just a normal thing. It was like, Oh yeah, of course that's what I'm doing. Why wouldn't I do that? The surrender charge is up. It's time for me to earn another commission. Like, but what about the product? Is it the right thing for your client? He's like, ah. who knows? <laughs> it's so sl- <laughs> so slimy. Yeah. It, it, and is this why this word fiduciary comes up again and again and again? OG, the people should people got to ask that question. Is your advisor a fiduciary? Yeah. And you know what? I am so tired of talking about it because I have found that even those who aren't say that they are. So that's even getting watered down. What? Absolutely. You go ask the guy at Merrill Lynch if he's a fiduciary. He says he is. Guaranteed. Yes. The person at Morgan Stanley, you're a fiduciary. Guaranteed. They say yes. Yes. The guy at LPL, Commonwealth, Ameriprise, you're a fiduciary. Yep. Sure am. And the answer is you cannot be if you receive commissions. Just just based on how the law is written, you cannot be a fiduciary if, by the definition of the SEC, you cannot be if you earn commissions. Now, that doesn't mean, and I just, you know, before I get all the hate mail from people at, Amer- at you know, Ameriprise or Merrill or whatever, like, I do what's best for my clients. You can still do what's best for your clients. And I think that there's a lot of advisors, in fact, probably the vast majority of them, right? The vast majority of professional advisors do what's right for their clients, regardless of how they're compensated. But when you have this moniker of like, well, I should just ask if I'm a, if they're a fiduciary, and then most of them get it wrong anyway. It's it's just it's watered down. So disheartening because you think we want to. And what's the penalty for being wrong? What what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. I mean, I I can walk into a hospital and say I'm a heart surgeon, and they do what? They look up my background and they you call my references and go who? They'd say no, you're not. You go my bad. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get in really big trouble if you start operating on people. Yeah. yeah. The frustrating thing here is that this comes up over and over and over for about annuities, especially. There's a bunch of people listening, OG, that don't even know what, what annuities are. Why the heck are annuities so frowned upon by, by so many people when when you explain the product, the product sounds like something that we'd all want, right? An annuity provides lifetime income. When you annuitize the annuity, you turn it into something that looks like a pension. I mean, how great would it be to have a guaranteed paycheck? Now, the bad news is you pay for that. Like if you do the math and you're a somewhat savvy investor, you can probably beat it. You could probably beat that stream of income. However, it takes that completely off the table. All of a sudden, I'm just getting a check. I don't have to worry about it. Like freedom from worry has a price, and that's what the annuity company charges you. Sounds like something great. Why does this continually come up in this 
in this single market? Well, it's because it's complicated. It's a complicated investment product. It's a complicated compensation structure. Every time there's a layer of something in there that adds more cost to the consumer, you know, so an annuity that has mutual funds inside of it now has two layers of costs, has the layer of cost of the annuity and the layer of the cost of the mutual fund. If you have a, an annuity with mutual funds with a lifetime income benefit or with a guaranteed death benefit or some, you know, other bells and whistles, you're just adding layers of cost. And so that stuff can get pretty expensive over time. Um, and I think most people are, are, you know, are just simply using them incorrectly. You know, the biggest benefit of an annuity is that it's tax deferred. It's just a great tax deferral tool. It's one of the only ones that exist. You so it's money, fantastic. You, you put money in, you don't pay any tax on it until you pull money out. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic. And, and if you uh, do it the right way and find something that's low cost, then it can be a wonderful, wonderful tool. But most annuities are IRAs. So the biggest benefit of an annuity is tax deferral. Well, you get that in the code of the IRS. So you don't need the annuity to do tax deferral inside tax deferral. And then you add the complex cost structure plus the commission structure inside of it. And you go, this is just a lot of moving parts. That's immediately when I think that we have a commission salesperson, when I see an annuity inside an IRA. So an IRA, everybody is the packaging, right? It's like um, there's a, a present sitting out for you. Can't open it till it's your birthday. In this case, 59 and a half, your 59 and a half birthday. You can open it up. If you open it before then, you get your finger slapped. That's what the IRA is, is it's this just this, this rule. And uh, an annuity doing the same thing. Like you're, what? Now there's some, I have seen some annuities inside IRAs where people are buying the annuity for a completely different reason. This gets in the, this gets way in the weeds. I'll give you an example of somebody who it made a ton of sense to have the most complicated product ever. So this individual had a, um, uh, medical issue, a stroke, something along those lines when he was younger, when he was like in his forties. And so he had a bucket of money from his uh, disability policy and those sorts of things, but there was no chance he was ever going to get life insurance with his medical ailment. He would never, ever, ever get life insurance. And he had a young family that he was still trying to take care of. And he had a pretty short life expectancy. He knew that the issue that he had was going to result in an untimely death. So there was an annuity company that we found that would allow him to buy 2x the money that he put in the annuity, he could get 2x for at death, but it costs like a percent and a half on the money. Cost a bunch. It It was a ridiculous amount of money to do it. But for him, because he knew his life expectancy was really short and he knew he had no other alternative, which I guess maybe that's from a financial planning standpoint, should have been solved long before it, but it wasn't. It was a way for him to take this $500,000 and turn it into a million at his death when that that didn't exist in that short of time frame. You say, well, just invest the money, it'll turn into a million. Yes, but he had a shorter time period than that. And there's no guarantee that that's going to happen in that window. Again, play in the probability. Sure. So in that case, it was a perfect solution. Yes, the advisory team who, who was involved in that probably got a crap load of commission on it, but it was definitely the right thing for that person. Um, But I still think that the solution to this is just take away all the upfront commissions, make them all the same as regular investment advisory accounts, and then you just see what happens. You'll see what happens with the product. You'll go, oh, it's being used for the right people at the right time with the right attachments to it. Poof. And all of a sudden, the products become competitive. 
there are some competitive ones out there, but to your point, far too many that aren't. And uh, yeah, it becomes a becomes a race. Hey, it's that time, OG. Time for the TikTok Minute. Every Monday, we take a look at another TikTok video that uh, may or may not lead you astray. And today, this is a TikToker who actually led you astray. And sadly, we're talking about the wrong thing with annuities. How about the wrong thing in crypto? This is a rare TikTok apology. Let's, uh, let's listen in. The other day, I promoted a cryptocurrency named Mando, which the developers pretty much scammed everyone, including me. Some of you guys invested into Mando, and also myself. I had $10,000 invested, which all of it is gone now. I wanted to come on here and take responsibility and tell you guys how truly sorry I am for not doing the research that I should have on their developers. So to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again, my management team is going to get in contact with every single developer before I promote a cryptocurrency. We're going to do background checks and we're going to make sure that everything we're promoting is 100% legit and in it for the long term. And I just want to clarify from here on out, whenever I promote a cryptocurrency, this is just me showing light to the crypto. You guys want to do your own research and make sure that you are putting in money into something you believe in long term. I can't even put into words how crappy I feel right now and how sorry I am for what happened. Thank you guys for understanding and something like this is not going to be happening again. Quite a a mea culpa from this gentleman and you don't hear that very often. Oops. He he and his management team. Yeah. Even without without that. Who would have thought, OG, that a Star Wars Mandalorian themed cryptocurrency might be a scam. Mando. Yeah, it's Mando Crypto. Which is a great time for us to talk about our new cryptocurrency. Crapo. <laughs> the jog. It's the Joe and OG. It's the jog. We need to make a commercial around the jog. We, 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 should, we should totally do that. I love this continuing theme, though, OG, that this, uh, this TikToker talks about. You got to do your research. You got to do, got to do some research. Don't go, oh, Star Wars themed crypto. That thing's going to the moon. And dude on TikTok said it was. Can't stop there. Our second headline comes to us from the Wall Street Journal. This is written by Mike Cherney and Patricia Kausman. House prices are inflating around the world. Pandemic related stimulus, ultra low rates and changes in buyer behavior are turbocharging markets from Europe to Asia. Turns out that around the world, OG, no matter where you're living, people are afraid to sell their house because they're afraid they won't get another one. Yeah, I can see that. There's just nothing for sale in our neighborhood. Where would we go if we wanted to? I'd love to have sell somebody this uh, this dump for twice what I paid for it. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> the whole market is locked. As the U.S. housing market booms, they write a parallel rise in residential real estate prices across the world from Amsterdam to Auckland's, raising fears of possible bubbles and prompting some governments to intervene to prevent their markets from overheating. Nice. We say this all the time with individual stocks, that we read these stories about the market being overheated. And in the stock market, it seems like every day there's somebody again and again and again saying it's overheated. I haven't read this many real estate pieces saying the real estate market's overheated in a long time. Seems like a big buildup over the past eight, nine months. I think it all depends just like anything where you are, right? I mean, probably not a hot real estate market in Manhattan right now. In fact, I know it's not. You can get great apartments for lower than you could 
a year ago, but um, out on Long Island where you can work from home, Toronto, the suburbs, Vancouver, you know, Dallas where we live and Texarkana where you live, it's crazy. You see people moving to the place that they want to be. And it says this whole thing's putting policymakers in a bind. Many want to keep interest rates low to help out the post-pandemic recovery, right? So keep interest rates as low as possible, keep people spending money. But they're also worrying about people taking on too much debt to buy houses when prices could stagnate or fall later. So if you're buying a house that you're going to live in, let's not talk even about investment houses. I think that you've got to still really be careful that you're taking on too big a mortgage for that house of your dreams right now. Well, and the, and the rules still are there for a reason. You know, just because you can qualify for a mortgage with 35 or 40% of your income going to the house payment doesn't mean you should. You know, if you can keep it to about 25%, and, you know, we've talked about this before, but I like the 15 year. You're a fan of the 30 for the flexibility. But if you can make it work on 25% of your income and the market stagnates or it falls, you know, you're not going to be in a position where you're uh, terribly upside down. This also goes to your down payment amount. You know, if you're doing a down payment with the FHA minimum 3% down and maxing out your debt to income ratio to be able to get the house that you think that you need, um, you know, that may backfire. And I know there's places based on just discussions we've even had in our basement uh, Facebook group where people are, are bidding, hey, I won't even do an inspection. I'll make a no inspection, no inspection, all cash. How silly is that? Yeah, absolutely. Sad. Yeah, don't. All cash is one thing, but no inspection. I would never, ever, ever not get an inspection. Yeah. Well, other countries, you talk about how the U.S. has made uh, lending standards tougher since 2007, 2008. In uh, New Zealand, authorities just did the same thing, tightened mortgage lending standards. In China, they're also trying hard, but with little avail to make things better. In Sydney, property prices also hit records. New mortgage demand is so high, some banks are struggling to keep up. In fact, we hear we hear all the time here that uh, so many people looking to, to, to refinance that you should get in line very quickly if you're going to do that. Are we going to see interest rates have climbed a little bit, OG? Are we going to see interest rates continue to climb? Oh, let me check my Magic 8-Ball. Oh, wait, Len has it. Uh, oh, come on. I have no idea. I mean, it, it only makes sense that it would. When they're so low, it only makes sense that it's got to go back to normal, right? And and Yeah, like just and, re- reversion in the mean? Yeah. And so when you've got that going on, plus wages aren't growing as fast as they otherwise should be, you know, with uh, as it relates to inflation, especially at different, different areas of the economy, the vast majority of this housing boom seems to be affected by the really, really low cost of money. And then, like you said, the demand, it seems like when that demand starts to evaporate, that the prices should moderate a little bit. And then if you add to it rising interest rate costs, now that's going to increase the cost of borrowing and it's going to increase or decrease the affordability, I should say, for an average consumer. So I think those two things together are going to have an impact. Yeah, I'm with you. I think without to your point, taking out a crystal ball that um, interest rates have nowhere to go but up. But I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I still wouldn't wait. You know, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't sit on this. If you know you got to refinance, I get in line now because who knows how long it's going to take. Hey, just a second, OG and I are going to have our takeaways from today's headlines. Lots of big headlines, but first. 
This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Takeaway number one is uh, the Mando cryptocurrency may not be what you think it is. I think that's a big one. And then, and then number two, uh, Robin Hood confetti. Might have to use your Wayback Machine to look at that, but might not have been a great idea from the beginning treating your stocks like it's betting on the ponies out at the horse track. But the two biggest takeaways, annuities can be a good product, but there still is a long way to go when it comes to the way annuities get sold. So the word fiduciary, still important. And even if your advisor says they're fiduciary, I think there needs to be a discussion after that, which means going back to the Mando crypto guy, got to know your terms, got to know what you're buying and looking up the word fiduciary, doing a quick Google search, I think will be your friend. For people to have our Stacking Benjamins guide that we send out the day before this goes live. Uh, We provided one there. We also have one in our show notes. Oh, I love this guest we have on today. Jay Cousineau is a guy, and I'm sure you're going to hear it here, OG, who really cares about teaching young people about money. We'll ask him about his journey because you don't see financial education classes in schools very often. And the fact that he gets to teach that, we'll ask him how that happened. But we'll also talk to him about what the things are that you first need to know when you are learning about money. Cheryl has a friend, by the way, OG, who listens to the show, who said that we should talk uh, from time to time about the words that we use, about some of the words that we think aren't jargon because we use them every day. But still, to some people, it's very difficult. And we tried to do that today with annuities, with our housing discussion. But Jake Cousineau is going to do a lot of the heavy lifting today. So if you're wondering where you need to start on this whole money journey, we got you covered. Jake Cousineau on his way down to the basement. And walking down the stairs to the basement, it's our new friend, Jake Cousineau. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Great to be here in the hallowed grounds of the basement. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so happy you could join us and say hi to mom. But I'm even more excited about talking about this topic because, you know, so many of us, when, when I was in college, I have talked about this a lot, but if people are new to the show. I totally, Jake, messed up my finances immediately. I got approved for an American Express card, which is funny because I later became an American Express spokesperson. The joke <laughs> was on them. And I wrecked my credit with it. I just told, I didn't understand how any of this stuff works. You say early in your book that you're the first member of your family to 
go to college and I believe graduate from college. That's right. Yeah. Uh, did your family talk about money? Did you have a good financial background before college? No, not, not even a little, like, I mean, zero, zero. So when I went to college, I had no idea if I was even taking out student loans or how much they were or what the interest rates were. And even if I did know what the interest rates were, it wouldn't have helped because I didn't even know how interest worked. I mean, so I can't stress that enough. When I was uh, 17 years old, shipped off to college, I knew absolutely nothing. So in my family, we certainly didn't talk about it. And uh, now with the knowledge that I do have, I wonder why not. And I'm obviously a huge proponent of you know bringing these things to the forefront, talking about them because financial literacy is in my mind, you know, the most important pressing subject to young people. Did you beyond, and we'll, we'll talk about your student loans in a little bit, but, but beyond that, did you start off life with a big financial quagmire or did you kind of get it together early? I suppose it depends on who you ask. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was about, I was about 27, 26. I call this for my financial renaissance. And for me, when I started learning this stuff, I was like, oh, gosh, why didn't I learn this earlier? You know, you know, one of the through lines through all the finances, take advantage of time, you know, compound interest, avoid debt. So when I was 27, I'm like, oh, I could be in such a better position than I am now. But then, you know, if you tell it to somebody else who didn't, you know, maybe they didn't learn this till they were 45, like you're lucky. So um, I wouldn't say that I was in a I wasn't in dire straits. It wasn't awful, but I certainly could have been in a much better position than I was. You're a teacher. You teach uh, personal finance. You know as well as anybody that there are very few personal finance curriculums in America. How the hell did you get that gig? And why did your school decide to have a personal finance curriculum? Or have they always had one? So my school, shout out to my school. So my school is Lorena High School in Thousand Oaks, California. And um, it's a private school. And right at the time that I mentioned, I was going through my own financial renaissance, reading everything I could. Again, I was like, why didn't I learn this in high school? Why didn't I learn this in high school? And being in the position that I was, I've taught uh, history, I've taught econ, uh, English for a long time. And one of the nice things about my school is I can sort of bring up ideas for classes. So I brought it to our, my administration. I said, we need to have this class. I'll come up with a curriculum. And uh, they cleared it. And then so, but then those sort of the, what have I gotten myself into? Because I didn't really know exactly how I was going to uh, sort of uh, walk this road. Uh, but now I'm so glad that I did because instantly, I mean, within the first couple of months, it was very clear that the students were very much into it, which was surprising. There was never, and the beauty of teaching personal finance, and as somebody who's taught, I don't know, like postmodern literature or, you know, uh, transcendental poetry or something like that, I have never had somebody in personal finance think, when am I going to use this stuff? Which is a huge advantage, right? It's because it's so clear to them. It's so real it's tangible. So I started having this success and the program has sort of grown and grown. And, uh, it's also, I get so many emails and just like, uh, fist bumps from parents. <laughs> like, oh, cool. <laughs> like, thank you. Thank you so much. This is huge. You're so, uh, yeah, it's been a success, but I've sort of been fortunate that my school has been so uh, supportive of the class and it's expanding it. And yeah, it's been great. You're talking about the financial birds and bees, so they don't have to. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but then again, and I'm joking, parents, it's obviously better if it's supplemented at home or that the class is, is uh, the supplement to what you're talking about at home, obviously. Sure. When I've spoken at schools, and then I'm going to get into how you're teaching us in how to adult. But uh, when I've spoken in schools, almost every question that I've, that I've gotten, Jake, in schools is, 
a question from a high schooler on how do I really screw myself as quickly as possible? And, and mm-hmm. they, they don't phrase it that way. They phrase it. How do I get a truck loan? How yeah. do I, how do I afford my first house? The second I'm out, right? How do I uh, get a mortgage? It's always, mm-hmm. how do I get a credit card? What's my credit score? It seems like we're obsessed and at least when I've spoken at high schools, kids are really obsessed with credit, right? Yes. How do I get credit? Is that still true today? Cause it's been a while. Yeah. I mean, when they come in, they just have no idea. I don't think a, most of you know, let's say adults in the U.S., I don't think they understand what a clean slate they're coming from. They just have no idea how these things work. So I really stress early on um, interest, just how does interest work? And when you borrow money, you're going to pay back more than you borrowed. Uh, but yeah, when they come in, they're definitely, yeah, how do I get this the biggest house possible? How do I get the nicest car? But very quickly, I mean, within... I want to say the first quarter of school, they're already sort of snapped back into shape. And I think that's because you have to, as a personal finance teacher, you walk this very precarious line between uh, highlighting the virtues of financial discipline, conservative investing, and, uh, you know, just being sort of financially savvy. Uh, You have to balance that with just the horror of like mismanaging your funds and like showing, I mean, real life, like this is the trouble you can get into if you're not doing these things. And if you get buried in debt or interest rates that are sky high, these are very real scenarios that you're sort of knocking on the door of. Yeah. So I do get those questions very early on, but uh, I mean, by the end of the course, that ship has sailed. They're like, all right, I want a used Prius or something. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to teaching in the book, you start off with interest. I'm assuming now, based on that answer, that's why you start with interest is because people don't really understand it. But you you share your personal mess ups throughout the book. And interest is something you messed up early on with your student loans. You had a fantastic strategy of paying off your student loans. Yeah, foolproof, man. Yeah, that went wrong. (laughs) Tell us about that. Yeah, so in each chapter and just the general tone and like the posture I wanted to adopt is I think there's too much uh, literature out there that it's really from this like financial expert guru, you know, a certified financial planner. And it sort of creates this distance between, all right, this person, this speaker, whoever's teaching me this is something I can never achieve. And really, I wanted to sort of point out that financial literacy is not that difficult. If you think anybody can do this, and I really wanted to approach it with some humility. So in each chapter, I sort of have like, it's called a personal connection. And very often, they're just my own missteps, really to hopefully help young people not feel bad because usually when people feel bad about their finances, they'll hide it. You know, they won't discuss it. I don't think that's just, I don't think that's just young people. Oh no. I I think it gets compounded with age. The older you get, the less you want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, So I really, especially anybody reading this book is like, Hey, address it now. Like the best time to fix this will be to address it now. But yeah. So to your question, the personal connection for my interest, I had like $25,000 in student loans. So I basically just calculated, all right, I'll pay X amount per month. You know, I'll do $200 per month. That'll be $2,400 a year. 10 years, that'll be 24,000. So just uh, 10 years, basically $200 a month. And then I made that first, those first couple of payments and I had paid, let's say about a thousand dollars. I have the specifics in the book, but let's say I paid a thousand dollars and uh, ignorant me, like went to go check the balance and it had gone down, you know, like $300. Like, what is this? This is fraud. Like I've given you a thousand dollars and the principal's only gone down 300 bucks. So since that was still kind of real to me, you know, I was paying back my loan at that point. still, you know, quite young. Uh, I remember that really poignant moment. And so I'm like, this 
needs to be sort of the opening chapter. This needs to be the first thing you understand because whether interest is working for you or interest is working against you, and most people take it for granted, but the first day of class every year, I teach them that and my students are up in arms. They're like, we need to do something about this. Like, this, <laughs> this, can't be, this can't be legal. Like, what is this interest? And so for most people, they might think, yeah, of course, how do you not understand how interest works? But young people, and again, these are the people signing $30,000, dollars $50,000 in student loans. So they need to be, you know, we need to make it abundantly clear uh, just how interest works. But to your point, it's not just a negative, Jake. It, you say it's either a negative or a positive. You get to choose. Like there is a huge positive side too. And I think a lot of young people don't understand that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the one really nice thing about personal finance, again, so teaching it, my students very often want examples They're like, all right, you're talking about compound interest, like show me how it works. And when you have a compound interest calculator, it could be a 401k calculator, whatever it is. Um, you know, I'll say, all right, you're 20 or you're 18 right now. Let's say if you start at 20, if you do $300 per month, you know, until you're 65, I'll show them how much money they've put in, but then you, you know, put it into the calculator so, you know, they're like, oh, I've only put in $200,000. That's not bad. I'm like, how much do you think you'll actually have with interest? And I show them, you know, it's up to a million dollars and it blows their mind just as much as, as infuriated as they are about the interest when, you know, when you're the borrower, when they see that interest compounding, like what? Like that's how you can become a millionaire? Like 200, $300 a month? I'm like, yeah, if you start young enough, like the longer you wait though, that it, you know, you're, it's going to have to be $600 a month, $800 a month. But if you start now, so that sort of blows their mind. Like I didn't realize, you know, that's how you can become a millionaire. Like, yeah, it doesn't take, you know, you don't have to have a $500,000 salary to do it. I still think that's fun. You know, even today when I'm trying to get motivated at my age, just, yeah. And then I go, you know, use the rule of 72 or a calculator mm, and yeah. I start looking at what my, what my balances are going to be like. Or yeah. if, if, if uh, Cheryl gets down, she's like, man, we're saving a bunch of money. No, no, no. Take a look at this. And all, all of a sudden you're like, wow, Hey, Hey, yeah. life is, no. life is good. Yeah, the amount of time I spend on different financial calculators, <laughs> just to <laughs> either, you know, just to sort of get myself fired up of, okay, where I'm actually at now, here's my trajectory. What if I bumped it up a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's, again, that's very tangible because that's real life. That's your finances. So it well, certainly works. Uh, speaking of real life, you go from the concept of interest, the good, the bad, the ugly into basic banking next. Mm -hmm. why, why do you have banking as your number two topic? Um, I have basic banking as chapter two, mainly because I sort of wanted to, so the one sort of following up into this, we eventually get into budgeting, but I think a lot of students and especially maybe students who don't come from, let's say as affluent families, they might not have a bank account already, or they might just not have any experience with banking in general. So, you know, before you can even get into really budgeting, you really need to find a way to organize your finances, keep track of your finances. And there's no better way to do that than with basic banking. And even then there's very foundational things of which banks are you going to choose? All right. I've heard of bank of America. I've had students say like, uh, Mr. Coos, I'm, I know capital one is a big bank. I've never seen one. That's crazy to me. I'm like, okay, well let me explain why, like what an online bank is. They're like, Oh, if, what is Ventura County firefighters credit union? So you have a bunch of choices to start. And again, I think so much of financial literacy, so much of finance when you're young is sort of being overwhelmed by which bank do I choose? If I make the wrong choice, this is going to ruin me. And so I sort of want to make it clear, it's not going to ruin you. There are differences. Here are the differences, but you need to get your foot in the door. Uh, similarly, that's sort of a through line throughout the book. Like 
all right, so you want to open up a 401k? Do you want to do Roth or traditional? People get overwhelmed. They're like, eh, never mind. I'm just not going to do it at all because I don't even know what it means. It's like, no, just take the information now. And again, making one of those choices is better than none. So basic banking is like, you're going to need that step in order to, that foundation needs to be laid before you can sort of march further down this road. Importantly too, you talk about how fees work. Absolutely. One of the big ones that the students are always surprised by is overdraft protection and you know how much money banks make off overdraft protection. Not only that it might cost you, you know, thirty to thirty-five dollars every time you use this so-called helpful service, but the way in which banks often organize transactions is not always chronologically. They might wait till the end of the day and put the order, you know, the highest transaction to the lowest, which obviously when you order it that way is going to be much more likely that you're going to overdraft and you're going to need that protection. Those fees kick in. Um, and I also talk about just basic benefits of business with if you have a high yield savings account, if you have even a 2% interest rate on in your bank account from literally doing nothing, just putting the money in the bank, you can make money, which is always very surprising to students. You know, if you put say $5,000 into a bank with 2% interest, you know, in five years, you're going to have more than $5,000. And that sort of, that blows their mind to have the concept that your money can work for you. Is that a good introduction kind of, even though it's a different concept investing, but is that a good introduction to investing? Just the idea that your money can make money? Absolutely. Absolutely. You sort of, you do want to start small, you know, long-term growth, what sort of like reliable interest rates or realistic, realistic interest rates you can hope to expect. But yeah, basic banking, just demonstrating that because you also have, if it's 2%, it's a consistent number that you can sort of expect. But yeah, starting small like that, they really need to understand that before you can show them the things that are going to get them really excited, let's say, (laughs) because then they're just going to forget about everything else. Like, all right, just, I just want that. I don't care how it works. So you need to teach them how it works before they can actually start doing this stuff. Do they get excited when you get to the investing part? Uh, yeah, I would say investing is probably the, the unit of my class they are most excited about. When people think of millionaires, especially young people, they don't understand that you could make 50 grand a year and be a millionaire, depending on your spending habits. And again, showing them sort of the performance of index funds, because they're already pretty excited when I show them what a 2% return can do. You know, with a high interest savings account, it's like 2%, that's pretty good. And like, you know, I made $1,000 over six years. Uh, and then I show them what seven or eight percent looks like, and they're like, "This is out of control. Like this is nuts. Like this this is not real. You know, this is alchemy." I'm like, "No, I pro- like this is real. Like this historically, you can rely on these things." That's the it shows both sides of the class. You you tell them about overdraft protection and these fees that may not be too kind or interest rates that are hard to get out from under. But if you know these things and use this to your advantage, you can also again from two hundred three hundred dollars a month possibly become a millionaire, you know, depending on the return that you get. So they certainly do get excited about stuff like that. I want to ask you about uh, budgeting. Uh, You mentioned it earlier. You've got two quotes at the beginning of the chapter. Quote number one from a student. These are both from students is one time I spent my entire paycheck on stickers. (laughs) Yeah. And then the second, the second one is I bet Kylie Jenner doesn't have to worry about budgeting. Why, why are those significant? Well, so one, I think that my students had so much feedback and I'm very close with my students. So it's nice because I could bring in each chapter and be like, hey, what do you think of this? Like, is this funny? They're like, no, like not even close. <laughs> like, 
so lame. Or like, is this, is this relatable? They're like, no, it's still not funny, but like, I can tolerate it. Jake's already getting his dad joke game. Oh yeah. Going. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've got my varsity patch in that for sure. <laughs> but, um, so I, I can really workshop with him. Like, does this make sense to you? Does this not? But at the beginning of this year, I decided it'd be nice if each chapter opened with some quotes from students against what I mentioned earlier to kind of demonstrate where students are coming from, what kind of mindset they're in. And I would just, about each topic, be like, what's the first thing you think of when you think of budgeting? What's the first thing you think of? So I got quotes for each one of these, and some of them are quite silly. Like, I, once I spent my entire paycheck on stickers. Those are gold. <laughs> yeah, that Kylie Jenner doesn't have to budget. Uh, one, I think it makes it more relatable for younger people that, you know, there's at least, like, one thing I like about your podcast, there's the jokes in between, there's sort of the asides in between the financial lessons. And if you're just going to throw financial lessons down somebody's throat, especially a 17-year-old to 25-year-old, get out of here. Like, that's not going to work. Well, and I could just imagine you in class saying, hey, guess what? You're not Kylie Jenner, so let's go. Absolutely. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah, I talk a lot of trash to him. So it's, uh, the chapter introductions, I think, provide a nice, uh, balance to the book. It's not just, so how do we, uh, yeah, how do we teach uh, beginners then how to budget? Where do you start? Beginning budgeting. I really sort of start with all of my students have heard something. They'll initially say coupons, you got to cut coupons. You got to stop drinking Starbucks. And I'm like, those aren't bad ideas, but too often, because I think it's just like sort of a, a clickbait, stop drinking coffee and you'll save $5,000 a year. It's like, no, those are small victories. So I really start with uh, the big three, I call like the three biggest mistakes you can make in budgeting, housing, transportation, and food. Like people overspend on their housing costs. They buy the cars they can't afford. Like you said, those high schoolers, like how do I get this new uh, F-150? Yeah. Uh, and they eat out too often. So I, those are sort of the three biggest killers to your budget. And really this goes into teaching like you need to be working off percentages of your take-home pay. Like whatever your after-taxes pay is – too often students come in thinking these are just sort of cut and dry numbers. Like is $800 too much for housing? Like, well, that depends. Like it all depends on your take home pay. But starting with those three, I think is the big message out of the gates for me, because if you happen to be doing well in those three, uh, your budget will still probably be, it won't be completely out of control. Let's say, or let's hope not. But generally when people get in trouble, it's because those three big expenses are, they, they've made mistakes along the way. At the end of that chapter, I provide two like sample budgets for two hypothetical twin sisters that make the same salary. One of the girls, the hypothetical Trinity, she's overspending in those three categories and her budget's just getting wrecked and she's not saving, she's not paying down her debt. And the other one is doing fine. And the thing that students point out, like this one has budgeted $800 per month for entertainment. And they're like, oh, that's a lot. I'm like, yeah, but that's okay. Like, that's what I'm trying to teach you. Like, because she's made sacrifices in transportation, housing, She's having fun. Like, so too many students come in thinking if I want to have a fun life, like, or a financially uh, stable life, I need to practice like austerity measures. I'm like, no, that's not the case <laughs> when you're young. Like if you start this young, it doesn't have to be that. Like as long as you're making wise decisions in those, especially those big three categories, you can afford to have fun. You can't afford to make bad financial decisions your entire life. Yeah. Are you trying to say uh, Paula's line that you can afford every, uh, anything, just not everything? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it comes down to a problem of scarcity there. Well, that is good. I love that it's about choices and, and less about the app that you're going to use or which method, right? If you're going to use like a YNAB, every dollar is a home method or whatever, yeah. whatever it might be. Because uh, while that's cool, I think it's better to teach choices at an, at an early age. The, uh, the book is How to Adult Personal Finance for, for the Real World. You talk about taxes, credit cards, insurance, investing, budgeting, just a fantastic guide for people just getting started. Jake, where, where can people get it? All right. They can get it on Amazon, a uh, little, you know, small business. Never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a simple, just how to adult, uh, personal finance for the real world. Uh, my name is Jake Kuzno. You could also check out, uh, I have htapersonalfinance.com. So cool. I've got some, uh, YouTube videos up there that explain things like, uh, let's say Roth versus traditional or, uh, how's insurance premiums and deductibles. What are those progressive tax systems, stuff like that. So for a more, uh, audiovisual video learners, there's also that avenue. Awesome. And you know what? We'll link to all of those spots Jake talked about on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Jake, man, thanks for spending a few minutes with us talking financial literacy. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was great to be here. Thank you for having me. stackers. I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm glad that Jake is here to tell you all how to adult. But honestly, I think he left a few pretty key things off the list. Like uh, uh, when you're older, you better go find yourself a good dermatologist so you can have him take a look at that weird spot on your back. Uh, you also got to take care of the knees. You know, like when you're 35, the check knee light shows up on your dashboard. Like like a clock and you know if you don't baby your knees good luck getting out of bed uh oh i'm just getting started uh oral health very very important don't forget to go to the dentist i mean like when you're in your 20s you're opening beer bottles with your teeth every morning you don't realize that's going to come back and haunt you later on so you got to get to the dentist which gives me a great idea about today's trivia how many adults out of 10 in the u.s go to the dentist each year I'll be back with your answer faster than you can floss those pearly whites, the ones you got left. Hey, Staggers, it's Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do. A shout out to he is such a giving member of the fire community, the financial independence, retire early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now and all the work that uh, he did there, just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join, open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open, maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit navyfederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things they have a 24 seven help for their us based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to Navy federal 
org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy and Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey, stackers, hit your adulting pro, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, sharing some more adulting tips that Jake forgot. Like, when you're an adult, you say no to the extended warranty. They're a big old scam. Uh, Make as many friends as possible. You're going to need them as you get older, except don't be friends with Todd from The Sizzler. That guy is the worst. Am I right? And finally, remember, you don't have to budget if you marry Mackenzie Scott. Mackenzie, you didn't even give me a chance. Now that I've sufficiently rounded out Jake's adulting knowledge bombs, let's get back to today's trivia. The question for today is how many adults out of 10 in the U.S. go to the dentist each year? If you guessed 5 out of 10, you forgot the other guy because 6 out of 10 is correct. Turns out more adults want to go to the dentist, but dental insurance is not as common as health insurance is. But don't forget your teeth, people. Tooth health is often linked to heart health. And I've been told that we need that particular organ. That thing is kind of critical. So on that note, it's time for me to go be an adult in the backyard with the neighborhood kids. I heard they're building a tent city out of old sheets. I just love that. Isn't that the best? Right after the sofa cushion fort, the, the, the tents in the backyard, it's just awesome. Man, you are, uh, your glass is half empty. Four out of 10. That's how many teeth I got left. Go there to look at their tooth. Yeah. Doc, can you look at my tooth? Isn't that teeth? Well, used to be. Yeah, except I didn't go to the dentist. Yeah, thanks to thanks to Jake. By the way, I have not been to the dentist in over a year, about a year and a half. And uh, I've got a dental appointment coming up next week. And I am already fearful about how my mouth is going to feel after waiting that long. But don't you don't you normally love a trip to the dentist? Like afterwards, I just feel clean. And I'm not the guy you want to talk to about this. No, probably probably not. <laughs> You're in. The- I've had nothing but terrible experiences at dentist offices. Oh, no. That's so. horrible. Cheryl had a horrible dental experience. Also, maybe I'll tell you one later. A, a tooth that she didn't think was going bad. The dentist assured her was, and ever since he worked on a tooth that she wasn't sure was bad in the first place, has had nothing but but problems. That's not the case for most dentists. I've had uh, personally just f- fantastic times, and I and, and I really can't wait to go back. So looking forward to it. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life OG they put what you value first: fluoride and dental floss. <laughs> and, and so you can have more time getting your teeth 
looking pearly and white. That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. If you head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, you'll get a free quote. They're helping you buy insurance the modern way by making the application simple. It's online, their prices are affordable, and they're issued by Mass Mutual which is a 160-year-old insurer. So you know that the policy is going to be there when you need it. Let's say hello today to Andy. Throw him out the lifeline. Hey, Andy. Hey, Joel and OG. This is Andy from Idaho. I have a question about the third stimulus package that was just passed. I'm married, and my wife and I have two kids under six years old. Our yearly income is $90,000. But my wife's mom passed away in early 2020, so she received some inheritance money that put our household income above the max threshold for receiving any stimulus money. Now, I already filed our 2020 taxes, so we are not able to collect the money from this third stimulus package, but our 2021 income will be back down to the $90,000 range. And my question is, are we going to be able to collect this money from the third stimulus package when we file our 2021 taxes in 2022? I thought I read something online about this, but I forget the source and was not able to find anything else about it. So just wondering if you guys had any insight into this. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Andy. OG. Uh, a couple of things that I have questions about. Uh, I've not known inheritances to show up on your tax return. Maybe, maybe if it was an IRA or something. Yeah, that's. Um, I had a similar question. That's be kind of the only thing that I would think of. You know, sale of some property or something. But even if it was a sale of some property, you would get a step up. There wouldn't be any taxes due on that. So it must just be IRA money. It would have something. to be because IRA, much like we talked about earlier, being a tax shelter, money hasn't been taxed, and so now it's. It's being taxed for the first time. Yeah, eventually you gotta gotta pay the tax bill. Mm. Um, but if it wasn't an IRA, maybe you kind of unravel that mystery as well, uh, Andy. If 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 you go, no, it was a piece of property out in the woods. <laughs> you know, like well, then that shouldn't have been on your tax return. That being said, uh, the good news is yes, you uh, according to Kiplinger's and uh, of course the IRS. If you qualify in 2021 based on your income, you'll be able to use that as a credit or a reduction of your tax bill in 2022 when you file your taxes for 2021. So, uh, yep, it'll still be available. Just uh, hold your horses, as Grandpa used to say. Yeah, that's the good news. The way that this uh, tax plan worked, Andy, is that it was a forward of a tax credit. So they just gave you, they just gave you the tax credit early, and then you'll file. Most people will file that they got it when they file their taxes, you will file that you didn't get it. And so then you're, you'll have it taken up, which, which means OG that if he owes money, he won't, he may not see any money, but it'll go dollar for dollar against any taxes that he owes. Right. Yeah. So what you're saying is, is that if you don't withhold enough throughout the year and you, and you figure out your taxes and it says that you owe a thousand bucks, you might only get back 500. Yeah. I don't know what the stimulus number would work out to be without looking it up. But but let's say it's 1500 bucks. You'd only get 500 back, but it's because you owed a thousand. That's right. Uh, but he's he's not going to get a $1,400 check in the mail. He shouldn't expect a check in the mail. He's just going to expect it to be worked out on his tax form. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Andy, for the question. If you've got a question for us, like Andy, 
call the Haven Lifeline, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And if your computer has a microphone, your phone certainly has a microphone. Just go to the browser, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And like Andy, because he was brave enough to ask a question, we are going to have mom's friend Gertrude send him out a shirt before the poker game. And by the way, Ladies excited that they're finally able to start getting back together for the card game OG. And in two weeks from now, when I when I'm signed up, by the way, I'm totally laminating this thing and I'm gonna have a t-shirt that I can like slide it into with arrows that point to it. Like when I walk into like a grocery store and they're like, sir, could you? I'm like, nope, got the vaccine right here. It says right here on my shirt. Get a big vaccine shirt made out of my vaccine card. No, but all they're all they're saying is, "Sir, can you put pants on?" And you're like, oh. "Nope, I got the card right here." Nope, I got the vaccine. Take a look at the card. Says I get to wear whatever I want to wear. I'm good. I got the vaccine. You can yes. put your mask and put it right here. And then they're gonna say, "We all need a vaccine after seeing <laughs> that." Kind. All right, uh, that's going to do it for today. We've got lots of people to thank, but uh, we're going to have Doug do those honors. You want to spend more time hanging out with us? We want to spend more time hanging out with you. So we go live periodically on our Instagram channel. We also hang out in our basement Facebook group. You can follow us on Twitter and say hi over there. Have discussions with us. I'm asking lots of questions throughout the week on Twitter. So follow us, hang out with us in all those places. And uh, hopefully this time next year, we're coming to a city near you as well. We're going to try to hit most of the United States next year, hanging out with the stackers. Thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this podcast, but more importantly, thanks to everybody who's told a friend about us. And today if you know somebody new to money, I think uh, Jake Cousineau is a great gentleman to start with when it comes to learning the basics about money. Finally, if you and your family need better financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team are taking new clients. So head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG, and that's a link to their calendar so that you can interface with them and see how you can make better financial decisions in 2021 and beyond. That's going to do it for Monday. We're back here Wednesday. Doug, take it from here. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. Annuities, not a horrible product, but still. Make sure you know what's involved before you buy annuities or any financial product. Second, take a lesson from Jake Cousineau. Learn the basics early. It's not actually that hard, and those basics will pay long-term dividends. But the big lesson? There are lots of ways to adult, but the wrong way to do it is to start a podcast in your mom's basement. But trust me, don't want to be a downer, but G-O-I and O-J-A, those guys really could have done a better job. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To learn more about how to adult and to help kids learn about money, check out Jake's new book, How to Adult, Personal Finance for the Real World. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. 
I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. So here we are in the uh, dentist show after show. A couple of quick stories. You were talking about Cheryl having her tooth work done when I was in the military. I had no cavities my entire life. I was like the perfect dentist kid, a patient, I should say. I get in the Marines. They're like, yeah, you got a cavity right there. I'm like, I just had my teeth cleaned and, you know, before I left and they said it was good. They're like, nope, you need it. So the dentist works on it does a shoddy job because it's like his first day in Navy dental school, get back from boot camp and all the other accoutrements that happen afterward and go back to my regular dentist. He goes, what did you do to your tooth, man? I said, oh, they said it was cavity. He goes, oh gosh, no, there wasn't. So strike one. Allegedly one dentist disagreed with the other. My family dentist for many years said I got kind of schnookered. So that kind of kicked off like a cascading uh, series of bad dental experiences. When I was in my 20s, you know how like when you get your uh, cavity filled or whatever, they, you put that like sandpaper in there and you got to kind of like grind the sandpaper, kind of grind down the, the metal or whatever's in there. But anyway, so I'm doing it. And he's like, he goes, all right, let me look. He goes, oh, I said, what? He's like, oh, that's going to hurt. And I said, <laughs> really? I said what's going to hurt? That's the way. You know, because of my whole mouth, I was like, oh, what's going to hurt? And he's like, oh, man, you've been grinding on your tongue that whole time. So I like had my tongue in between my teeth. Yeah. You know, when I was grinding on the sandpaper. Oh, no. Really and you could, but you couldn't feel couldn't anything. Feel oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was pretty exciting. That's not a dentist problem. That's a oops. That was kind of a dentist problem. I mean, it was. What, is the dentist he, like, supposed get, to warn you ahead of time? Get your tongue out of the way. Hey, like, here, hey, hey, push this out. Hey, don't grind your, don't grind your tongue. And then I had a tooth extraction that uh, was pretty much the worst thing in my life ever. So, you know. I've had good uh, experiences. The only the only issue that I had was that my orthodontist had a Porsche 911. And I'll just tell orthodontist, if you're driving a cool two-seater sports car, don't sit it right next to the front door where my parents are walking in with me to get uh, my braces put on. Was the plate your kids' braces? 
U R K D Z B R C S. Mouth of gold. Maybe it says exactly. that. <laughs> Chub brace ching. Grills. G R I L L Z. We'd love to hear your license plate from an orthodontist. That would be here. Hear your ideas. Uh, either send those to me or uh, share them in our community. He was actually a great dentist. Uh, he was a fantastic dentist, but my mom would always get miffed. She's like, that's fine. And I remember uh, I worked with a mortgage person once who made sure all the time that you saw his really expensive Rolex watch. Like it was almost, he would, he, you, you could just tell he was moving his sleeve down a little and he'd go, uh, Hey, any point he'd make sure he'd point to something. And, and, but but just the way he pointed that you're like, you just want me to look at your damn watch. And it was after two or three meetings with him that I went, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, The opposite story to that. I know an attorney who could afford any car in the world that he wants, but instead the vast majority of his clients work at the Jeep plant and at the GM plant and the Ford plant. So he drives a Cadillac. A nice Cadillac, it's definitely a nice car, but it's straight up like, yep, I drive a Cadillac. Because all my clients, they also want to drive Cadillacs. Like that's the, you know, if I showed up at a Ferrari, they'd be like, whoa, what's this hot shot? You know, but a Cadillac, even though it's the nice one, I'm still part of the team. It doesn't cross that line. Yeah. So you got to know your audience for sure. I, I See, I thought it was going to be even better than that. I thought he, he, you know, they work at the Jeep plant, so he drives a Jeep. When I first walked into Microsoft to give my first talk about their benefits, I show up and I remember this guy who ended up, uh, Jason, ended up being a great client of mine for many years. Jason comes in early and sits in the front row and he said, what software is that? And I said, uh, excuse me? He goes, he goes, to run this presentation you're doing, what software is that? And I go, oh, this is my old laptop. Yeah, this is, this is uh, Windows 95. He's like, oh, okay. And, and what was that thing you just took out of your pocket? I said, oh, I was listening to some music. Isn't this, isn't this cool? This is like the new iPod. And it was like the third generation that had the big wheel, you know, had the great wheel. And at that time, that was when Microsoft, so it, I could probably look up the year because the Zune wasn't out for that long. He's like, okay, so we have a, and he just stops for a second. And by now the room has pretty close to filled up with people. And he said, okay, so you um, are using our competitors mp3 player and you've got eight-year-old software or whatever the number of years is you've got eight-year-old software on your computer you're here at a place where we make all this stuff and you're not using any of our stuff so why should we believe a thing you say before i'm about to give my first speech the next time i came in yeah like a brand new brand new laptop (laughs) and i'm showing off my zune and by the way, I went to the Target to buy the Zune, I remember, and I took my kids with me. And I say to the guy in the electronics department, I said, hey, I want to buy uh, this thing. And it's under the little glass area. I want to buy this thing. And he goes, what is that? The dude working at Target looks at me and goes, what is that? I said, oh, it's a Zune. It's like, what the hell's a Zune? I'm like, you're selling it, not me. It's it, It's an MP3 player. He goes, 
I've always wondered what the heck that was. And he takes it out and he literally blows Blows the the dust dust off it. Not a big big seller. You're still here? What are you still doing? The show's over. I I don't do a very good Ferris Bueller, do I? But since you are here, Wanted to tell you that at Navy Federal Credit Union, they don't just serve the Navy. They also serve the Army, the Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard, and even Space Force. So no matter where you are in your military career, they offer the products and the resources to help you navigate your finances like the Navy Federal More Rewards American Express card. We talked about this before, guys. If you pay off your credit cards in full, this is Absolutely fantastic because you can play the credit card reward game. Then don't play the reward game because stuff's not free. If you're not paying off your credit card on time, but if you do listen to this three times points at supermarkets, food delivery and gas plus one point on everything else. Enjoy special perks and points. You can redeem for cash travel, gift cards and more plus earn bonus points. Like you can learn about how you can get, 25,000 points, a $250 value when you open a Navy Federal More Rewards American Express card today. Visit NavyFederal.org for more details and to apply. Insured by NCUA, American Express is a registered service mark of American Express used by Navy Federal under license. Now you can go. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers navy federal our members are the mission navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender